It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Now, here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Winston Churchill once said, The truth is incontrovertible. Malice may attack it, ignorance may deride it, but in the end, there it is. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. I'm Jonathan. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. Folks, talk to us anytime with your feedback or questions at ChristianQuestions.com and all of our social media channels. Dig deeper after this episode by downloading our comprehensive CQ Rewind show notes. It's a visual and contextual map of everything we cover. That's on our website and in our weekly newsletter, plus... Check out our YouTube channel. We're putting out cool content for all age groups with new videos every week. Well, hello, Jonathan. How are you? What's happening? What's going on? What are we talking about? <laughs> Great, Rick. Uh, the question is, does the Old Testament law apply to me? And our theme text is found in Galatians chapter 3, verse 10. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse. Okay, so question, does the Old Testament law apply to me? Now look, the New Testament gives us a clear picture of Jesus replacing the Old Testament law and being our path to life. As Christians, we all agree with this, and yet so many of us still follow parts of that old law. Why? Are certain aspects of it supposed to be carried over? Are we required to keep the Sabbath or tithe? What about honor your father and mother? Shouldn't we always do that? With these particular questions on the table, one might be drawn to conclude that Jesus didn't really override the law. He just made some major adjustments. Can that be true? Fortunately, the New Testament makes all of this clear. It all comes down to what Jesus did and did not do, and the answer is powerful. So coming up in today's podcast... Think about this. Someone you highly respect tells you you're being horribly deceived. Will you listen? In our second segment, we follow a dramatic warning like this by the Apostle Paul to the Galatian Christians. What if God directed you to do something that was literally impossible? Would that even be fair? In our third segment, we deal with this exact problem as the Old Testament Jewish nation attempted to follow the law. How about this? What would be the logic and plan behind putting an impossible task in front of those you love? In our fourth segment, we uncover why God did just that with a very surprising answer. And finally, couldn't God have just skipped all of the complicated rituals of the law and just sent Jesus? Our last segment shows us the incredible logic and wisdom of God's long-range approach. So, Jonathan, here we are again. The question, does the Old Testament law apply to me? And really, I think what we need to do is first establish exactly what Jesus did on its most basic level. And, and there's, there's some scriptures that really nail it down for us. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 4 to 7, and then verse 9. And, of course, I'm going to interrupt you before you get through all of that. <laughs> for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Okay. It's not possible. 
This is a really important point. So we've got this plain fact in place. The basis for Jesus coming is obvious. Sin needs to be eradicated. The blood of bulls and goats from the law couldn't do that. So the apostle in Hebrews 10 continues with verse 5. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. He takes away the first in order to establish the second. Rick, I I love this scripture. God prepared a human body for Jesus. A spiritual body turned into a perfect human being. I mean, grasp that miracle. That is amazing. Um, And not from the Adamic stock in any way. He was perfect. And then the other part of that scripture I was thinking of is the sacrifices were a picture of something greater than just the animal sacrifice itself. The bullock pictured Jesus in the future. So, and, and that's an important aspect of this whole thing because what we see is the, the apostles saying, look, the blood of bulls and goats can't take away sin, but they're showing us what can take away sin. And Jesus had to be that man to be able to be that ransom. So we do have a clarity in this statement in Hebrews. It sets a foundation for us. Jesus' sacrifice replaces all of the previous sacrifices of the law. That's essentially what is being said in Hebrews very, very plainly. And and the book of Hebrews, remember, was written to the Hebrew Christians who were struggling with this. So with this foundation now, we need to ask, well, what about the moral law? And, you know, and Jonathan, that's a really important question because the law was given to set the Jews apart. So when we say, well, should we, we should not follow the law, do we, we do, are we throwing everything away? And the answer to that is, what does Jesus say about that? And, you know, he gives some plain answers. And, and the first one he's going to give, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5. He's talking about murder. And now murder is a bad thing, right? Absolutely. <laughs> okay. Anywhere you go, it's a bad thing. Jesus, listen to this now, Jesus equates the sinfulness of murder to slanderous mistreatment of others. Think about what he's doing there, okay? Matthew 5, 21 and 22. You have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into Gehenna. So what he's saying is, the law tells you. You've heard the ancients say that you shall not commit murder. That's in the law. That's in the Ten Commandments. He's saying, I'm not abolishing that. I'm actually tightening that up. I'm actually making that higher. Because if you're going to follow me, you need to be thinking in the highest possible sense in relation to the morality that the law taught us. So right away we said, okay, you throw out the sacrifices, but there's some incredible value in the morality here. So that, that's, that's one point. Jesus goes further, just a few verses down in Matthew chapter 5. Again, this is the Sermon on the Mount, and if you remember the context, he's talking to his disciples, and you have all these other people listening in. And he, Jesus deals with adultery. 
And what he does here in these next couple of verses is he exposes the absolute danger of the path that brings you to adultery, and that is your own thinking. Matthew five twenty-seven and 28. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman who lusts for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's a hard statement. You know, that, that's, that's the kind of thing you look at and say, whoa, that's serious. He, he, this, he's talking about our thoughts, Rick. Right. He's so, saying that we have to exercise our thoughts to be pure, to have holy thoughts, and not immoral thinking, but not actually doing the immorality, but not thinking the immorality. Right. So he's saying stop before the, 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 the step that comes before you actually commit the sin. Yeah. So when he looks at the morality of the law, what he's doing is he's saying, oh, no, no, no. I not only support it, I'm elevating it. I'm making it stronger and I'm making it more focused for you. So there's something very valuable here that we need to understand. When it comes to divorce and remarriage, Jesus makes such decisions much more specific and difficult. Again, Matthew, tw- uh, Matthew 5, uh, a few verses down, verses 31 and 32. It was said, Whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. So, you know, in, in the Jewish law, in Deuteronomy 24, it was you could divorce your wife for some matter of uncleanliness. And that was a very general statement. Jesus is saying, you know what? That's not valid. That's not strong enough for followers of me. Now, this is Jesus speaking. He's saying, I say to you that fornication is the only legitimate reason because marriage is a covenant of God. And you, if you're following me, need to live to a higher level. So, Jonathan, in some basic areas, murder, uh, thinking in terms of adultery and marriage, and uh, Jesus is taking the moral law and he's saying, it's sacred. And if you follow me, you need to be following in a higher sense than everyone else. So when we say, well, Jesus took, you know, replaced the law, well, think about this. He took the morality of the law and he kept it in place because that never changes. And that's a powerful, powerful thought. So we've got to learn to love the law and also leave the law. So our loving and leaving the law point for this segment is what? When we look at any aspect of the moral law, we always see the same thing. Jesus upholds and enhances all of it. All of it. So he's not throwing it all away. He's saying there are some things that are really, really deeply important for each and every one of those who follow me. So actually, It looks like Jesus is making the moral law more specific and more difficult for his followers. Is it really as cut and dry as no more sacrifices but keep being good? Isn't there much more to say? We're podcasting live every Monday night from 8 to 9.30. You can talk to us direct through our chat at ChristianQuestions.com. We also welcome your comments or questions any day of the week. Just hit the Contact Us button. We're now out of the starting gate. Let's pick up the pace for tonight's topic. You know, there's so much more to this as the Old Testament law was deep and complex. We see Jesus personally dealing with it in broad strokes 
And the amazing part is that he himself kept the law perfectly. What we need to do is look at the rest of his perfect life and what changed it and what it changed for us. So that's where really, really, really where we want to go at this point. Let's, let's look at what, what he did and, and how to understand the application of the law in a Christian's life. Rick, here's a thought question. Someone you highly respect tells you that you're being horribly deceived. Will you listen? <laughs> you know, that's, a, <laughs> that's such an important thing. Will you listen if someone tells you you're being horribly deceived? So let's take a look at that. One of the early church's greatest and most confusing challenges was the influence of the Jewish law relating to Christian faith. Okay, You look in the New Testament and there's much written about the role of the law and the role of faith and what do you do with Jewish Christians who are bringing many things with them and Gentile Christians who have no background. You've got a big issue there. So remember, Christianity began with Jews, appropriately so, and then spread to Gentiles. So the third chapter of Galatians actually clears this issue up. We're going to look at the third chapter through our entire podcast today. and begins with sound and a defining question. And so um, let, let's read Galatians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2 to get started. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? Okay, so he's saying he's making it an either-or situation. Now, with that in mind, Jonathan, we had this question about the Old Testament law on Quora, and we've got some really interesting responses. We've got a response from a, a wonderful, wonderful Christian gentleman, and he was so respectful in his approach. And he's a Jewish Christian. He's very obviously a Christian. But he, he, he and the group that he is with hold a very specific perspective. I just want to share that uh, here, very respectfully share it. We believe the whole unchanging word of God is for all in the faith and applicable today. So he's saying the whole unchanging word of God. That sets up the next comments. We believe that we are to teach all nations to obey the Torah, the law of God. The next point, so they're saying that all nations should be learning that. Next point, we believe we are saved by grace through faith in the word, Jesus, the word of God. Obviously a Christian thought. We believe our Messiah, Jesus, Yeshua, taught the Torah and obeyed it perfectly. Okay, so there's a very specific perspective on what Jesus was doing. And you know, you think, well, did he teach the Torah? And to the Jews, he discussed it and he did encourage them to follow it. He really did. So there, there's value in that. And then the last point, we believe that our Messiah died for our sins on the cross. So it's very unequivocally Christian, but saying we believe that the Jewish law should be part of all of this. So that's a, a different perspective than we hold, but we wanted to share it with you for two reasons. One, it, because there's, a, there's a, a very sincere movement that follows after that. And two, I got to tell you, when someone is so respectful and so honest, you just got to, even if you're in disagreement, you have to just put it out there and, and say thank you. Thank you for sharing with us. So as we move forward here, Jonathan, I just want to reference Galatians chapter 3, verses 3 to 5, because, you know, you started out with verse 1, you foolish Galatians. And, and the apostle says, you know, are you so foolish? Have you begun in the spirit? And, and, and are you being perfected in the flesh? So he's really 
going after them with very strong words, kind of like a father chastising his child for, what are you thinking? <laughs> I don't know if you ever had to do that with any of your kids, <laughs> but you know that sense of, where are you on this? Show me how you got there. That's what he's doing with them. I won't, I won't read verses 4 and 5, but it just gives us a sense of the intensity that the apostle is approaching the subject. So he's being very specific, he's being very dynamic, and he's going to get very complicated, I might, might add. Okay, so... The works of the law and the hearing of faith are presented as two sides of a spectrum. We mentioned that before. Let's look at Romans 1, 16 and 17, because it kind of brings us down that road. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written. But the righteous man shall live by faith. Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? So then, does he who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? And those last verses were the the third chapter of Galatians. I had forgotten that I put them there. I didn't color code them right. (laughs) So thank you, Jonathan, for bringing all that in. But again, in Romans as well as in Galatians, the point is very, very clear. The righteous live by faith. And he's talking about the works of the law and the life of faith. Now you can argue, well, James says faith without works is dead. And the answer is absolutely. So we've got a lot of pieces that we have to look at and we've got to put together. Where does the law fit? Are the works of the law important to the Christian life? Let's follow the Apostle Paul as he's showing us what he's saying. So he next, in in, in verses 6 through 9 of Galatians 3, he's going to show us a dramatic example of faith being the foundation of God-pleasing actions. Now let's think about this. Faith, he's going to show us, is the foundation of the way to please God. This ends up being a major, major point as he's making his bigger points. Galatians 3, let's go 6 and 7 to start. Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are sons of Abraham. Isn't that kind of an interesting thing? He's saying Abraham believed, he had faith, and it was reckoned to him as being righteous. That's a powerful connection. That is. And then he's saying those who are of faith are the real sons of Abraham. And now, Rick, Abraham was before the law was given, wasn't he? long before the law was given. So there is an establishment of how to come to God, how to please God, set up through Abraham specifically. So this statement in Galatians 3, 6 and 7 was a pointed rebuttal to Christians who were preaching that the law needed to be kept. So it's saying you've got to reconsider because God's drawing people to him was long before the law came into effect. John the Baptist actually is, is, a, is a good example of putting things in order. Now, he's speaking to an entirely Jewish audience, preparing them for the coming of their Messiah. Luke chapter 3, verse 8. Therefore, bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham for our father, for I say to you that from these stones, God is able to raise up children to Abraham. So even before Jesus comes and preaches one word 
of his gospel message. John the Baptist says, don't give me the excuse that you're special because you're children of Abraham. I'm telling you that God, if he needs to, can take these stones and make them into the real true sons of Abraham. And he's saying, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. In other words, you haven't done what you were supposed to. I'm here to tell you to repent because he who comes after me, I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. And you've got to listen. You've got to repent so you can be in the heart attitude to receive him. He's preparing the Jewish audience to step above the law. Okay, so we've got that. That's what uh, the Apostle Paul is driving us to in Galatians 3, 6, and 7. Let's look at now Galatians 3, verses 8 and 9. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, All the nations will be blessed in you. So then, those who are of faith are blessed with Abraham, the believer. And Rick, I love this promise to Abraham. You know, the promise was because of his faithfulness to be willing to sacrifice his son, the, the promise was given from God, in thee and thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And wow, because of his faithfulness, there's this promise that touches everyone. And it's interesting that when the Jews of the time, when Jesus was there, would argue with Jesus, they would say, we're sons of Abraham. They would claim to be sons of Abraham because of that promise. And they're saying, Abraham was God's chosen. We are sons of God's chosen. How can you talk to us like that? And so Jesus was helping them to understand, you've got to live up to what being a son of Abraham truly is. And now here the Apostle Paul is saying, the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. Remember we had, we had talked about, uh, we did a, um, a podcast a few weeks ago about the gospel, and we were yes. talking about it starting right at the beginning. Well, here, this is a great verse that says, look, the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham long before the law, long before any of those, those formal things were established, you have the gospel, like you said, of all the nations of the earth being blessed. It was out there, and it came through faith. That was the thing that Abraham had going for him, and God counted him worthy as a result. So we see these words of Paul clearly reflecting the conclusions of a big argument and big discussion that they had in Jerusalem uh, in Acts chapter 15. The great council of Jerusalem is when they all, all the elders and uh, of the early church, they came together to talk about what do we do with the idea of circumcision and, and Jewish and Gentile Christians and how do we get along? Won't take time on that discussion, but we will take a look at the wrapping up of that discussion in Acts 15 verses 13 to 19. After they had stopped speaking, James answered, saying, Brethren, listen to me. Peter has related how God first concerned himself about taking from among the Gentiles a people for his name. So Peter gave the testimony of Cornelius, the Apostle Paul, gave the testimony of all these Gentiles coming in, and they're saying there's this huge work being done with those people on the outside kind of looking in. So we've got to, to pay attention to them. Verses 15 through 19. With this, the words of the prophets agree, 
just as it is written. After these things I will return, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen, and I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. And all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. Therefore, it is my judgment that we do not trouble those who are turning to God from among the Gentiles. So, Jonathan, in the early church, there was a lot of discussion about the, 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 the role of the law in the, in the Christian church. And they were saying, look, we can't bother them with that. You know, and you'd think that it would have been settled at that point. But you but know, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. And you know what? I have a, a, a real live example, okay? Uh, with us, folks, this is a special time. And, and with us, we have a Christian Questions listener from New Zealand who actually came to the States to visit with us because of some of the things he's been learning. Howie, good evening. Hey, Rick. Yeah. Hi, Jonathan. It's so cool to be here. So, Howie, just briefly, your experience is you came from a church that brought parts of the Old Testament law with them, and you were really convicted by those things. Yeah, actually, Rick, you know, I've been a Christian for 25 years. I've been in a few churches in that time, and all of them um, brought the, the law of tithing through. They, they taught about tithing, and, and they talked about the, um, the, the curses of Malachi, if, you know, if we're robbing from God and withholding our tithes, and and they talked about being blessed if we sowed a seed, um, you know, into the kingdom and, and all these things. And uh, yeah, I, I got confused because that was the old law and I, I didn't see how it applied to us today. But yet you were really gun-ho about it. Yeah, the more study <laughs> I did, I must admit you guys have been a big part of that, listening to, you know, your messages um, through the various podcasts and it really just opened my eyes. I didn't know what I didn't know. And, um, you know, you just sit there and you believe everything you're taught from the pulpit. And, um, yeah, I guess I was a little lazy that way. So it was great to hear your perspective. And you always backed everything up by scripture. And, and it just made so much sense. So, you know, with, with Howie, Howie, thanks thanks for sharing that with us. And, and look, thank you for being here with us. This is pretty yes. awesome. Yeah, no, my, my pleasure. I'm having such a great time. <laughs> Yeah, and, and Jonathan, we brought him over to your place last night. To... It was an awesome time. The Lord is good. <laughs> Absolutely. But, you know, you know, it's, it's wonderful that he's here for, for that particular experience because this is a real issue. And we've got to be clear on what we're, we're taught because it comes down to, look, if the scriptures teach it, we must follow it. And the apostle up to this point is making some very strong statements about leaving the law behind. So, you know, again, we're talking about loving and leaving the law. Uh, and why do you say that? It, <laughs> it, that's, it just sounds like it contradicts itself. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does. But think about this. What we will find throughout this podcast is the law itself was of incredible value and incredible necessity so Christianity could be set up. We therefore must love its sacredness. However, we're being instructed to leave its rituals and sacrifices behind because that's not what Christianity is about. That's what the Apostle is telling us, and we're going to continue to unfold that. Therefore, we need to love the law and what it stands for and what it's done, but we need to leave those things behind. Morality, we keep with us. So our loving and leaving the law point here, Jonathan, is what? 
The early church fathers clearly proclaimed that Christian faith is built squarely upon the pre-law faith exhibited by Abraham. Okay, the pre-law faith. That's what the apostle was just describing to us here. So, you know, we've got to ask ourselves the question, well, what do we do with the law? That makes itself clear as we go further into this particular study. So the apostles and disciples made things very clear. Leave tradition behind, no matter how significant it is. If Christianity is built upon Abraham and his faith, did the law play any role in its development? Did you know about all the video content we have? Go beyond the audio podcast with all our on-demand videos at christianquestions.com slash YouTube. Discover our Moments That Matter series, the exclusive CQ Kids releases, and much more. See new videos every week. Subscribe, share, like, and give us your comments at christianquestions.com slash YouTube. Now I'll throw the mic back to Rick and Jonathan. Gotta catch that mic. (laughs) As we so often said, God's plan works in stages and over long periods of time. When we remember his purpose is to eternally bring humanity back to him, we can begin to understand that the steps required to get there must be purposeful and methodical. And the law was one of those major steps. Rick, here's a question for you. What if God directed you to do something that was literally impossible? Would that even be fair? <laughs> That's a good question. And, you know, you, th- you think about that, and, and, and I'll tell you, skeptics of Scripture are, are going to wave that in front of you. Oh, so you're saying the, God gave Israel a law that they couldn't keep? What kind of God is that? Ha! And, you know, here's the thing, Jonathan. Let's just step back for a minute and address that, and then we'll, we'll, we'll come back to it. But... As a parent, do you tell your child when you grow up, here's, I want you to be always be honest and have great integrity and always work hard and be kind and generous to everybody that you see? Aren't you asking them to do something impossible? Yeah, because no one's perfect. <laughs> right. But don't we put that standard in front of them anyway? Of course we do. Why would we do that? That's not fair. Because you're showing them the best. And that's how they can live up to pieces of it. If they don't see the highest standard, they don't have a sense on how to get there. So when we say, well, God's not fair, what we're saying is God's parenting is is less than yours because you do that for your child too. So, you know, <laughs> let, let's put it in perspective. Okay, so we'll, we'll, we'll deal with that as we go through this segment. But the, the law came as a result of God's dealing with a nation rather than individuals. Remember, we had Abraham, and he's the father of the faithful. He had a son, Isaac, who had a son, Jacob, who had 12 sons, and they became the nation of Israel. You've got this nation. They're in captivity. God rescues them after many years and gives them a law because now instead of dealing with just one family, he's got tons. So this is what has to happen. We go back to Galatians chapter 3, and we're going to take a look at verses uh, 10 through 15, but it's going to take us pretty much the whole segment to get through those verses. So we'll go verse 10 first. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. So that's a strong statement. He's saying anyone um, who are following the works of the law 
under a curse. And then he quotes the Old Testament. This is quoted from the time when Moses prepared the people to enter Canaan. And so he's getting them ready. And here's what he says. This is really important. Deuteronomy 27, verses 1 to 3. Remember, you're wandering in the wilderness, and you've got to get to the point where you're going to get your, uh, enter Canaan, and this is a big, big deal. Deuteronomy 27, 1 to 3. Then Moses and the elders of Israel charged the people, saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you today. So it shall be on the day when you cross the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God gives you, that you shall set up for yourselves large stones and coat them with lime and write on them all the words of the law when you cross over so that you may enter the land which the Lord your God gives you a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord God, the God of your fathers, promised you. So he begins this 27th chapter of Deuteronomy saying, I want your entrance into the land to be dramatic. I want you to have at the, at the, essentially at the doorway the law written right before you. I want it to be firm, I want it to be clear, and I want you to see it and to understand it and realize your deliverance. So this chapter goes on and lists many do's and don'ts. And then the last verse of this chapter is Deuteronomy 27, verse 26. Cursed is he who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. And all the people shall say, Amen. So, and that's what the apostle quotes in Galatians chapter 3. He was, so he's saying, here's my proof that the works of the law actually bring a curse because here's the problem. The nation was never able to keep the law because sin and pride were too powerful. And again, you start to bring up that question. Okay, so you saying that God told them to do something that was impossible for them to do. Yes, but let's hold that point, okay? First, let's look at Amos chapter 3, verses 1 to 2. Hear this word which the Lord has spoken against you, sons of Israel, against the entire family which he brought up from the land of Egypt. You only have I chosen among all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Rick, this verse reminds me of that movie, Fiddler on the Roof. Yeah. You remember Tevia, yeah. the father. He says, I know we are your chosen people, God. But uh, once in a while, can't you choose someone else? <laughs> you know, and, and, and you're tired of <laughs> the difficulty being punished for mistakes. Yeah, you know, and the difficulty of being the chosen because you have such a responsibility and then there's a long way to fall when you have a lot of responsibility. Yes. And that's true. And, you know, you think about it and how the, the nation was blessed and how they suffered so much trouble. They're blessed when they keep the law. Now, did they ever keep it perfectly? No. They were imperfect human beings. They couldn't. But were there times when they were blessed? Oh, yes, absolutely. So God made allowance for their imperfect efforts. And what was the dividing line? It was their hearts. It was the heart attempt to keep the law. So while God puts this law that is not possible to be kept by imperfect humanity, he also makes provisions so that when they are really trying, he's going to bless them. It's when, the, when they stop, that's when the difficulties come. That's when the trials come. That's when the tribulations come. That's when the prophets show up to yell at them so they can get back on track. So this law was difficult because it's difficult to be God's chosen people. 
let's accept the fact a sinful world doesn't work well with a perfect God. And for us to rise to the occasion of being acceptable to him, we have to really, really work hard and do things uh, differently than others. So we all know that Israel's history was checkered with obedience and lots of disobedience. Again, we're back in Galatians chapter 3. We're going to go on to verses 11 and 12. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. And Rick, remember um, faith, the father, uh, father Abraham, the man of faith, that, pressure, that promise that was given, we can't forget, in thee and thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. That's what this is talking about. So, however, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. So this is a huge point. Now, this is the Apostle Paul making this distinction. This is not theology. This is the Apostle Paul saying, the righteous man shall live by faith. And you're right. The backdrop reference to that is Abraham. It is clearly Abraham and the promise. And then he says, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, it's of works. The Apostle Paul is quoting from two different scriptures here. First, the scripture on faith, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. So what that verse is saying is, and this is talking, now this is important, because this is talking to a Jewish audience, and it's saying the righteous will live by faith. It's saying you need to put faith first. And contrary, Leviticus 18, verses 4 and 5, is where the Apostle second quotes in verse 12 in Galatians uh, chapter 3. You are to perform my judgments and keep my statutes, to live in accord with them. I am the Lord your God. So you shall keep my statutes and my judgments by which a man may live if he does them. I am the Lord. So now you say, okay, but God isn't telling them to live by faith. He's telling them to live by works. So how do you get out of that? Because we just said it has to be faith first, but God is here showing Israel, but you have to live by works. And that's what he said in, in Leviticus. And Jonathan, here's an answer. And folks, it, you know, and I, and I should have thought about this, about putting this into the, into the bonus material. Isaiah chapter 58 is a wonderful chapter about Israel uh, being yelled at by Isaiah, God, by God through Isaiah, because they were... Um, they were repenting before God. They were, they were doing their penance, but it, God wasn't hearing them. And Isaiah is saying, through God saying through Isaiah, the reason I'm not hearing you is because you're doing the actions and it's not in your heart. And through that chapter, he describes, I'm not looking for actions. I'm looking for your heart. You need to do the actions, and that's why he says it in Leviticus. But it comes down to loving the Lord with all of your heart. And so he has told them many times that, but they missed that. And so they kept the actions and not the heart. It's a wonderful chapter that gives us a sense of, of what it's supposed to look like and what uh, coming before the Lord in sacrifice will actually bring when it's done correctly. Well, Rick, if we were to try to live by the law, we would therefore enter into the judgment of the law. And that's where the apostle goes next in Galatians chapter 3. And this is really important. Galatians 3, verse 13. 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Okay, when it says Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, who's he talking about? It's Jewish the, Christians. The Jewish Christians, exactly. So, so, so he's, he's talking about them, and he's saying, we, because I'm one of you, were redeemed from the curse of the law. We were taken out of it because we couldn't live up to it. And he became the curse. There was freedom there, wasn't there? Yes, and that's the point. So Jesus' sacrifice was the way out of that particular curse. But there's more. Verse 14. In order that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So then he says, but there are others who didn't need to be released from that curse. They essentially had the curse of being fallen human beings. And Jesus came to them so that all would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Again, proof that we must live apart from the law and under Jesus. So he's being emphatic about living apart from the law. Is it the morality of the law he's putting away? No. It's the rituals of the law. It's the sacrifices of the law. And like how we said before, it's the things like tithing and bringing those things in. Those are not part of Christianity. We've got to leave those things behind. Verse 15. Brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it is only a man's covenant. Okay, now, when it says a man's covenant, it really means a man's testament, as in a last will and testament. This gets a little complex here, so we're going to go slowly. Yet, when it has been ratified... When ratified means to be made authoritative... No one sets it aside or adds conditions to it. So... How do you ratify? How do you make a last will and testament authoritative? How do you do that? Hebrews 9.17 gives us a very straightforward answer. For a covenant is not valid only... Uh, I'm sorry. For a covenant is valid only when a man, are, a man is dead. For it is never enforced while the one who made it lives. So the one who, mays, who, who writes his last will and testament, it's great while he's alive but it can be changed. Oh, that's right. Absolutely. Once he dies, it is set in stone. And they're saying the promise to Abraham is set in stone, and you can't change it. And that's a powerful part of this whole thing. So again, it's going back to faith, comparing it to the law, the living by faith versus the works of the law, and it's showing us the, that, that we need to be focused on faith. So, practically speaking, when we look at, at, at the Jewish law, do we just like throw it away and say, you know, st step on it, why don't you? No. Not at all. You need to respect uh, that because God was helping teach valuable lessons. And we're going to actually get into those valuable lessons coming up next. So our, our loving and leaving the law point for this segment. Though the law seemed to be a dead end, it actually provided the method for Jesus to take away sin as he absorbed its curse and opened the door to blessing. So it seems like the law was this dead end, but it was actually the doorway through which life was able to pass. And so what seems to be oftentimes is not what is. No matter which way we turn, the curse of sin is there. The difference is Jesus took it for us and owned it. Christianity is built on faith, and the law didn't produce that result. So, was the law a waste of time? 
Join our conversation by messaging us through the Christian Questions app. Download it now in your app store. Just search Christian Questions, then give us your thoughts on this and future episodes. Now, let's take a CQ Deep Dive. We cannot overstress the necessity of God's plan developing over time. When we think about the task of providing an experience with sin that will result in a bulletproof obedience on the part of all humanity, we realize that all pathways of life must be allowed to be experienced and observed. And this is really, really important as a foundation. The reason for the purpose of sin is so that we can understand that no matter what we try in that environment, it's going to fail. And allowing the law to play its part was a major, that that played a major role in that revealing of how sinful sin really is. Rick, next let's address the question you asked earlier. What would be the logic and plan behind putting an impossible task in front of those you love? And again, and it doesn't make sense, does it? Well, you know what? It does make sense, just like the parenting thing. And, and folks, when you ask those questions, you know, what you're doing is you're looking at a big plan that is comprehensive and complex and working over thousands of years. And you're trying to make a judgment on one little piece without stepping back and considering the bigger picture. So this segment, listening carefully to the absolute logic of doing exactly that, exactly that, the impossible task in front of those you love. We have the foundation of the law's inability to bring faith, and Paul zeroes in on his main point now. So we're working our way through Galatians chapter 3. We're now up to verses 16 through 18, and verse 16 is one of the biggest pivot points in this entire chapter. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say, and to seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one, and to your seed, that is, Christ. So it's pretty clear. Who's the seed of Abraham in that promise? Christ. Not because you say so. The Apostle Paul said, this is what it means. That's right. And when you, when you talk about something, you say, well, that's gospel truth. That's gospel truth. Okay, he's very definitive about that. So with the seed pinpointed as Christ, Paul is firmly verifying the centerpiece of God's plan as Jesus and not the law. Now look, we know this. So why do we have to say it? Because some of us insist upon bringing the law along and taking parts of it that actually, Jonathan, end up being advantageous to some. And we take the law because it fits our personal agendas rather than the agenda of self-sacrifice and following in Jesus' footsteps. So the apostle is telling us unequivocally, don't do that. So um, he, he next reasons that the law can't undo what the original testament, remember the, 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 uh, or what the, uh, the, the last law and testament, the, the will of... Last will and testament. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> it, it can't undo what that said. Verse 17 of Galatians chapter 3, and he's going to get to that will and testament again. What I am saying is this. The law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant. The testament, the last will and testament that we talked about a few verses ago. 
previously ratified, which means it was made authoritative because of death, by God, so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on a promise. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Why? Because it was a last will and testament that was ratified. He wasn't going to change the fact that he gave grace by through faith. That's where it started, and that's what the promise said. And God is not, just because he brings the law into play, he's not going to change the rules of how that works. So based on keeping the law, you can't get there. Again, the law has no place overriding the promise. And we've got to understand that. And again, I can't repeat enough that too often Christian churches ignore all of this and will use pieces of the law. Because, you know, Jonathan, some of the things that the law did is it, is it, is it made people comply because these were strict, firm guidelines. And that's... You know, it's a good thing in some cases, but, but in others, it, it really ties your hands. N- and not in Christianity. What belongs in Christianity is the law of love, as Jesus said. What belongs in Christianity is that high level of moral integrity. And what belongs in Christianity is footstep following of Christ and self-sacrifice. And many of us reverse that so we can get. And, you know, the the... the, the 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 uh, the gospel the the preaching of abundance uh, has this problem. They've taken the promises to the Old Testament about oh you'll get this and this and this if you follow me by the works of the law. Say oh that's for Christianity. No, it's not. No, it's not. We're not promised abundance. We're promised sacrifice. And thank God we are because we're supposed to be developed by it. So Paul's repeating himself here. Okay, and he's making a clear point. Salvation does not and cannot come to humanity by the law. And Rick, I just have to repeat that promise given to Abraham, which is so beautiful. In thee and thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. It will happen because of Jesus' sacrifice. Nothing can change it. Right. The law can't change it. Nothing can. The activities of Satan can't. What came before can't. It is a written in stone because of that ratified promise that the apostle was talking about. So, okay, so, so God was dealing with mankind through faith, and faith is the only way to please God. Why, then, did God bring the law a law of works? To identify sin. And that's one of the major, major revelations we have to have when we look at the law. Why do we think it's so smart? Because the apostle Paul told us that it's so smart. (laughs) Galatians 3, verse 19. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions. See, Paul is telling us it's added because of sin. We need to see what sin looks like, and the best way to identify sin is to show you what it's not what, what it's making you do that's outside of what's acceptable. When you see what's acceptable, you now know what's not acceptable. Paul next verifies the godliness of the law, the godliness of the law, by identifying it as being set up through angels having been ordained or instituted through angels. Okay. Now you say, well, where did that happen? And I think what you, what you need to understand is that when God was dealing with Moses, uh, there, was, there was angelic intervention in, in having that, all of that happen. 
Okay, so that's where the apostle's going there. He next verifies the law by identifying how it was delivered. By the agency of a mediator. And here's where it starts to get really good, because now another purpose of the law is coming out. He then, the apostle then, shows us the limits of its purpose in developing, uh, developing the plan. Until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. So there's a mediator put in place until the seed, Jesus, would come to whom the promise had been made, that, that verified, ratified, unbreakable promise. So part of the purpose of the law is to show us what a mediator does. Part of the purpose of the law is to identify sin by showing us what it looks like to be righteous. So now we're seeing many reasons why we look at the law with great respect at its sacredness for guiding us in all this whole thing. So the, the whole idea of salvation being apart from the law is a very common New Testament theme. It shows up everywhere if we're willing to look for it. Romans 4, verses 13 to 15. For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise is nullified. For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there also is no violation. Rick, <laughs> Paul is being very lawyerly like yes. here. <laughs> this is not easy to hear. To understand. And, and you're right. And, and the reason he's being very technical, first of all, remember, Paul was a Pharisee in his previous life, okay, and in his previous uh, experiences. He was taught to take things apart and to be able to argue through them. It's because the Jewish mind at that point was very clear on the, the rituals and, the, and, and, and ideally how to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N. You know, it's very, very specific. So Paul is taking that specific thinking and saying, specifically, here's what Christianity is about, and here's what it's not about. And, he's, and again, he's reminding us, faith to Abraham and to his descendants. The descendants of Abraham are the ones of faith. And you've got to remember that, and you can't nullify the promise. So you're right. He's being very legalistic in his explanation so they can let go of something that they've held on to. And, and look, Jonathan, just a, a quick side point. You can't blame them for holding on to it. That's Be true. Because the law was the only thing they had for thousands of years. You're right. And all of a sudden you come to this point and you're supposed to just throw it away. So that's why so much of the New Testament is written about it. And it's not saying throw it away. It's saying respectfully put it aside. Because if you are in Christ, the purposes of the law have been fulfilled. And we're going to really see that in the next segment. So getting back to Galatians 3, now comes the plain statement of fact regarding how God's plan was going to work. Galatians 3, verses 20 and verses 20 and 21. Now, a mediator is not for one party only, whereas God is only one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? May it never be. For if the law had been given, which was able to impart life, then righteousness would indeed have been based on law. And that's a huge statement. If the law had been given, which was able to impart life. So again, that question, you know, what would be the logic, the question you asked earlier, Jonathan, and plan behind putting an impossible task in front of those you love? The apostle is saying the law was not capable 
of bringing life. Why? Because humanity was not capable of living up to it. Why would you do that? Because you need to identify sin from a very high level. This is not God abusing his people. It's God teaching his people. Many of them didn't learn the lesson then. They'll learn it in the resurrection. We will all, every human being, will be able to see the reason the law was given and the height to which each and every human being has to rise to be accountable and, and uh, before God. No law could have redeemed man from sin. It just wasn't possible. All the law could do was to identify the problem, as it did, grant temporary atonement through all those sacrifices until the final solution was made ready. And we see that in verses 22 and 23 of Galatians 3. But the scripture has shut up everyone under sin, so that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. So it's interesting. It says scripture has shut up everyone under sin. That's everybody. Those of Jewish descent, of Gentile descent, didn't matter. You were all put under sin. So the promise by faith, again, faith versus anything else, in Christ might be given to those who believe. Before faith came, we, Jewish Christians, as the Apostle Paul was, we were kept in custody under the law because something was going to be revealed later. So he's saying it was there. It held us in a, actually we'll find out in the next segment, in a very good way so that we could be ready for Christ. So, so Jonathan, a lot of legal talk from the Apostle Paul in this segment. Yes, tons. <laughs> but the point is that the law has a dramatically important purpose in God's plan. Do not, do not look down upon it. Do not just throw it aside uh, recklessly because it is something of great importance. What's our loving and leaving the law point for this segment? The Old Testament law served a vital purpose as a bridge between the faith of Abraham and his family and the coming of the promised seed who fulfilled that faith. It built a bridge. The law built a bridge. And the key that we're going to see is once you get over that bridge, you're, you're, you're moving forward. You can leave the bridge behind. But you're so thankful that the bridge was there. God's plan is truly amazing. Even when things look like they're failures, they serve a mighty purpose. What is the bottom line? What are we supposed to do with the law now that we have Christ? Every episode, we cover a lot of ground. Part of gathering all the information and drawing conclusions is having a thorough conversation. Thanks to all our listeners for all your feedback every week. Rick and Jonathan want to hear more comments and questions. Talk to us at ChristianQuestions.com, through all our social media channels, and download our app by searching Christian Questions in your app store. Now, since we have puzzle pieces everywhere, let's put those pieces together. The Apostle Paul has so far been meticulous in building his argument regarding the law's place within Christianity. He's now ready to finish his reasoning with perhaps the most dramatic revelations of the whole chapter. This shows us the deep value and importance that he sees in the proper understanding of the issue. And Jonathan, one of the important points here is if the Apostle Paul is taking all this time and all this effort to make the point we had better take it seriously. 
You're right, Rick. <laughs> you know, no. you, you think about you think about how often in Christianity you take a verse and you build a whole teaching around that verse. We've got a chapter that he's laying out logic, and it's deep, very deep. Shouldn't we build our teaching around what he's saying? Do we ever have a right to bring the rituals of the law, tithing included, along with us? No. We're taking whole chapters of the New Testament and ignoring them. How can we even think of doing that? Rick, this brings us to a reasonable question. Couldn't God have just skipped all the complicated rituals of the law and just sent Jesus? (laughs) Yeah, that's a good question. It's like, yeah, that would have been easier. Why all the complication? Why all the mess? There is a reason. And Jonathan, the bottom line is it's not a mess. It is there for an eternal reason, all of these things. So let's look at that. The law's purpose now is going to be fully revealed. We go to Galatians chapter 3, again, chapter 3, verses 24 through 28. So we're going to get right down to the end of this chapter now. Therefore, the law has become a tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. So, Jonathan, oftentimes we look at the word tutor and we think of somebody uh, who is, you know, who, who, you know, you need extra help. So you get a tutor to help you you after school. That's right. That's right. That's that's the way we see it. But was that what that that word actually meant? In the King James Version, it says he is a schoolmaster. What what does that did that actually mean in those days? Well, this is interesting, Rick. It means a boy leader that is a servant whose office was to take the children to school. So it's like a school bus driver. Yeah. (laughs) In a sense. (laughs) The responsibility was to get the students to the teacher. That's what the schoolmaster, that's what the tutor was. Okay? In this verse, that's what the word means. And this is a significant understanding when we see it as it was meant to be understood in the ancient Greek language. The only other time this word is used in Scripture is in 1 Corinthians 4, verses 14 through 16. I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have had many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. So it says, if you were to have countless tutors, countless individuals who bring you to Christ, you could have thousands of them, but you don't have many fathers. And he's saying, the apostle is saying to the Corinthians, you know, be an imitator of me. Unlike your spiritual father, follow in my footsteps as I follow in Jesus' footsteps. So, again, that idea of bringing, bringing those to something or somebody bigger and somebody stronger. So, here, what we, what we discovered last segment is the law served to identify sin, to give, give God's chosen a way to draw near to him, now this was the, the Jewish nation, until the appropriate time. And it also served as a leader to bring the Jewish nation to Christ. That's what the law did. Now tell me that's not important. That's huge, Rick. You needed something to put them in place. So when the, when, when, not the apostle, when, when, when John the Baptist comes and he is preaching to them repentance, his repentance is based on they're not following the law. So his role was to focus them on the law and the way they were breaking it so they could repent because the law was showing them where they were wrong so they could be ready for Christ. 
how much more specific and dynamic can the role of the law be than to be the very thing that John the Baptist is pointing to, saying, see how you've messed that up? Repent, because the Master is coming. And you need to be ready, and the only way to be ready is to be working at, trying to fulfill that law that God has already given you, so you can then follow the one that God gives you that is even greater than the law. There's a lot here, Jonathan. And, and, and you know, to me, it's a technical conversation, but I'm like, I'm, I'm feeling that, 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 that adrenaline rush from listening to the Apostle Paul, and he's like, he's like nailing it down. Understand how important this law has been. Let's go to verses. Verse, verse 25 is yes. awesome, Rick. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. Okay, it's pretty simple, right? Yeah. Once you've arrived, the tutor's job is over. Done. History. Right. Did the job. Now you're there to be taught by the teacher. And that's Jesus. Verse 26. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. See, now you go from servants to sons. And this is really an important issue in this. And we're going to be reading about this in, in the next verse. Here is why things are now different, because he talks about something very important in 26. You are all sons of God. What does he mean by that? Because he says, now, here's what's happening. Okay? Well, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 4 to 6. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony to those which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm unto the end. So let's just dwell on this for a moment. The idea, the contrast between Moses was faithful as a servant of God. Those who followed Moses were of this house of servants. And you tell the difference because in that house of servants, they had sacrifices to keep them on track, right? That's right. But could those sacrifices actually atone for their sins? No, they couldn't. Because, because they weren't the real thing. That God accepted them, those sacrifices, temporarily. And that's why those sacrifices had to repeat it, be repeated again and again, and again, and again. Whereas when Jesus comes, it says he was faithful as a son over his house. Why? Because he took the servitude, gave his life, and canceled all of the necessity of repeating the sacrifice and, and established the house of sons. And it says, whose house we are. That's enormous. How did we get there? The law. And speaking of the law, so no more rules. As Christians, <laughs> we can put rules away. We're all one. We're all equal in Christ Jesus. So we're all good. We're saved by grace, and, and we're good to go. No rules. Well, how about the example that, that Jesus shared that woman, women should not teach the church? Is that a rule we don't have to abide by? Okay, now slow down there, brother. Slow down, because you know what? It's not no rules. It's new rules, okay? Christianity does have rules. It does have guidelines, and we are bound by Scripture to follow them. You know, the idea that, whoa, we're free from the law, so we can do whatever we want. Stop already. We're not. We're not free from Christ. We are supposed to be following in a life of 
sacrifice, not a life of getting what I want. And just because I want doesn't mean I can or should. What we need to be doing is looking at Scripture and saying, we, need, we are following life the way Jesus followed it. Verse 27 of Galatians 3 really helps us to answer that. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. If you've clothed yourself with Christ, you've clothed yourself with the sacrificial approach to living. You are, I mean, being clothed, I think about that. You are, you are living in such a way as to be willing to deny everything, to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. So that helps us to see it clearly. Romans thirteen fourteen verifies that. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Okay, so make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. Uh, we don't allow what we feel, or shouldn't allow what we feel, to be the overriding concepts that we follow. We shouldn't follow feelings. Now look, Jonathan, you mentioned something, and, and we need to come back to it. You said, you know, what about women preachers? The New Testament is very clear. Suffer not a woman to teach. Does that mean women are less... No. What it means is there's an order that's there for a specific reason. What if you've got the most talented women ever? Wonderful. Let their talents come out in the studies and in the support, but because it's given to us in the Word, let's respect the order of the Word. There's a reason for it. We're not going to get into details now, but the Word is specific. We don't have the right to say, well, we don't need to follow that now. You know, and, and for some of us are looking at it and say, well, you know, you guys really are, are off. No, no, no. We're just following Scripture. Okay? We're just trying to follow what the Scriptures say. So we've got new fellowship with anyone who would come to Christ. And Rick, uh, the question um, that, that I always hear from many churches, come as you are. Come as you are. We'll accept you as you are. And what we would say to that, Jonathan, is yes, do come as you are, but don't stay as you are. Every one of us, without exception, must change radically. Every one of us. Because to fit into the mold of a footstep follower of Jesus doesn't, do, doesn't just come naturally to anyone. We all have to grow into that. We get a verse uh, 28 of Galatians 3 to, to help us understand this. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free man, there's neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And, you know, that gives us a sense that, wow, well, you know, there's neither male nor female, now what do you do with that teaching you were just talking about? You read the rest of the scriptures is what you do. Do not, and, and same thing with the law, do not try to build a doctrine out of a phrase. That's so dangerous. What we need to do is build a doctrine out of the things that the apostles and Jesus showed us what, how to build doctrine. Let's not minimize the work they did and the foundation they gave us. So while we're saying we're not under the law, we are under the guidance of the gospel. And it's specific for very, very, very important reasons. Ephesians 2, verses 13 to 15. But now in Christ Jesus, you who formerly were far off were brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. Okay, pause right there for a second, okay? 
he broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. So in the early church, there was a dividing wall. It was between Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians. They came from completely different backgrounds and were clashing on a regular basis as to what Christianity was supposed to look like. And the apostle here in Ephesians says, okay, Jesus breaks down the wall between them. What was that wall? Verse 15. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in or ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace. So what he's doing is he's saying one of the big parts of the burden of the, the, the divisions was the law. And again, folks, Please, re please understand, we're not disrespecting it. We are looking at it as having played a sacred role in the establishment of the gospel. Jesus could not have been faithful unless he lived up to the law, period. Could not have been faithful without the law. It was necessary. He showed us his perfection, and Jonathan, he could have lived forever, but chose to give up that life in, 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 in um, response to the sin of Adam, so that all who die in Adam can therefore be raised in Christ. So, you know, we've got to be really careful to see how this all fits together. And the law, folks, the law is important. But following the rituals of the law is not a Christian activity. It just isn't. And here's the bottom line, Galatians 3.29. And if ye be Christ's, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. You know, and when you see that, there's such power in, in those words. If you're Christ, you're Abraham's descendants. Now remember how important Abraham was in this whole conversation. You know, Absolutely. The, faith the father of, of faith. Right, and the promise that you kept bringing up again and again and again. In thee and thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. It was so important. So again, when we look at all of these things, we realize that the rituals of the law played a really important part, but weren't the end result. You know, the idea of tithing, the idea of, of certain rituals, the idea of circumcision, all of those things are not part of Christian requirements. What is part is the law of Christ. And Jesus explains that to us, and the apostles expand that for us so that we can understand what we're following. And we look at the law with great honor and respect. What's our final loving and leaving the law point? The mighty purpose of the Old Testament law was to hold God's favor through works and sacrifices until the promised seed came and opened God's favor to all men. So the law held onto God's favor through sacrifices and rituals again and again and again and again and again until Jesus came and released all of that. It served its wonderful purpose. And the beautiful thing, Jonathan, is that as God's plan unfolds and the new covenant is made with Israel in the future, that new covenant is going to be built on the basis of the law covenant. It's going to be built on the same principles for the world of mankind so they can follow after God. So yes, the law not only brought us to Christ, but it's a template for the world to follow in the future. Very different, but it's the new covenant is built upon the basis 
of the Old Covenant. Folks, we hope you've enjoyed being with us today. It's certainly been a comprehensive and complicated discussion on the Old Testament law and its role in the lives of Christians. You've got to really focus in on it, get Seeker Rewind, the full edition, so you can see how it all works and understand it more clearly. For Jonathan Rick and Christian Questions, does the Old Testament law apply to me? No, but the moral law always does. Think about it. Folks, listen, we do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback or send us your questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our program is subscribing to Christian Questions in iTunes or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Stitcher, whatever your favorite podcast channel is, please rate us and review us. We'd greatly appreciate it. And coming up next week, we're going to be talking about Am I a Jealous Christian? Talk to you next week.